Let's continue today, week two, with this series that we're calling Vision, Navigating Change with Purpose. How do you do that? How do you navigate change with purpose? I want to read to you from Philippians chapter two as almost a preamble to the major message content this morning. And I want to read to you a text of scripture that the Holy Spirit has continued to bring to my mind in responses to the challenges that you and I are facing today. Not only in our world community, and not only as Americans, but particularly the scripture that God has brought to my mind for Christians. What does it mean to live as a Christian in the days of COVID-19? Because I am aware that many of you are being squeezed right now and challenged. But what should the Christian attitude be when we're squeezed or challenged? Now, Paul wrote this particular letter while sitting in a prison cell, unjustly, I might add, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what I want to read to you. Paul says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, the Bible says he humbled himself. Now let me hold there for just a moment. Can you imagine what this must have been like? Jesus had all of the rights associated with the Godhead, he had all of the freedoms that are associated with divinity, and the scripture says he gave them up. Can you imagine that? No, you can't imagine that, and neither can I. Christ had every right under heaven, every freedom, every liberty, and it says clearly that he gave up those rights. And the Bible says something specific about Jesus. It says when he gave up his rights, he actually wore flesh. Literally, it says that he put on flesh. In fact, in the Greek, when we talk about God and flesh, we're talking about God and sarke. God clothed himself with our flesh, willingly, willfully, for the sake of others. Now, today... You and I are being asked to wear a mask occasionally, and we're being asked to social distance. But it says about Jesus that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul writes, 
As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, let me hold there again for just a minute. Do you see what's happening here? What, what Paul is saying? He's saying that because Jesus did this thing, and because God validated Jesus doing it, God actually gave Jesus glory because he did it. He says, you also better do this. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to God's good purpose. Notice here, verse 14, because here's where it gets, gets really good for you and I. It says, therefore do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, hold there for just a moment. How do you and I shine like stars in the universe? By laying down our rights for others, by not complaining or arguing but by doing the very thing that Jesus did, verse 16, as you hold to the word of life, Paul says, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Now, friends, listen to me. Guys, you gotta hear me on this. North Point, the Christian ethic is clear. The Christian attitude is critical. You and I must act like Jesus. Of course, I said today we're talking about vision. And so you ask the question, well, how does this in particular relate to vision? Well, let me just say this to you. God has a vision of who you're supposed to be. In fact, if I were to talk about the vision of God for your life, I'd say God's vision for you and me, for our church, is really in two parts. In fact, just write these things down. God's two-part vision. First of all, there's God's vision for you. But then just don't, don't just write that down. Also write this down. There's God's vision from you. Now you gotta be sure to write both of these things down in your notes because the two are inextricably tied together. In fact, when we talk about God's vision for you, what we're really talking about is a vision of being or a vision of becoming. We're talking about who God is making you to be. In fact, you might just write being or becoming right above there. When we talk about God's vision from you, we're talking about God's vision of doing or calling. Now listen to me, North Point. God isn't gonna get the from you the way he wants to unless he gets the for you. Who you're becoming affects intrinsically what you're doing. And God says, in these days of COVID, in these days of pressure, in these days you're being squeezed, you are becoming something. The question is, what are you becoming? How are you allowing these times to conform you more and more and more to the image of God? Now God says, I'm not gonna get done in your life what I need to unless you start yielding to me the way you're supposed to. Not in any meaningful way. So I just want you to think about right now today, all the frustrations you feel about what's going on in our state, in our school districts, in our country. Think about all the inconveniences. 
Your kids aren't involved in the sports the way that they once were. You, you, you can't um, go and do the things that you'd like to do. You can't go right now, sit in a restaurant and eat. Think about all the challenges. Think about your fears. Here's my question for you. Are you becoming through this pressure the person that God has made you to be? In fact, just thinking about this image that's been put together for this series, if you just take a look at this image here of vision and navigating change, you can see, you know, I just ask you, when you're in turbulent waters, right now you're being squeezed, how are you navigating that? How are you choosing to act? See, because when you're squeezed, the truth of who you are comes out. It's like a tube of toothpaste. It's like you know what's in the tube when you start to squeeze it. And God says, yeah, you're being squeezed God's saying, people are going to see what my church is really like as we go through this. Who are you? And the two, God's vision for you and God's vision from you, they're, they're, they're both tied together. Now, when you tie those together and you begin to yield those to God, what you get in a word, if you just write this word down, is you get the word glory. Just write that down. When you begin to yield to God's vision for you of who you're becoming, and you begin to say, Jesus, make me like you through this. And then God begins to unfold his vision through you. What you get is this glory. Now, the first thing you get is God's glory. And by the way, this is all that we live for around here at North Point is God's glory. This is the end game of our life. I, you know, I don't care if I get everything that I desire in this life. What I care about is, God, were you glorified through my life? But then, it's not just God's glory that you get, but the scripture actually says that as you live for God's glory, you actually become more glorious. Now again, what does God call this? Well, it's vision in turbulence. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said something really interesting about God's vision for your life. He said this, he says, God became man to turn creatures into sons. Not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. Of course, once it's got its wings, it will soar over fences, which could never have been jumped, and thus beat the natural horse at its own game. You see what he's saying here? He's saying God came to actually change you and make you so distinct and different from the natural man. And I just ask you, as we're all going through these challenges together, is there a difference between you and the person that doesn't know Jesus? Have you noticed your attitude is different, that it's distinct, that you shine like a star in a dark place because people are wondering, how can they respond with such joy in this? Are people looking at your life and saying, how come they're not so angry like I am? Because God says, I have called you to something different, to something better. Friends, listen, COVID-19, I understand it's changed everything. I know that. And the change keeps coming. I mean, first they say we're open. Then we're closed. Then we're open again. Oh, no, wait. Then we're closed again. Some of you are business owners, and it's like, well, first you have a business, and then you're being told, well, no, no, you don't have a business. Then, oh, yes, you do. You can have a business again. And now, oh, no, wait, you can't. Or, hey, our kids are going to school. Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. They can't go to school. It's all online. Oh, no, 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 it's part-time. Oh, now it's not. Or, hey, I can eat in a restaurant. Or, no, I can't. You get the idea. We are constantly being turned back and forth through change. 
The question is, how are you responding to that in a way that brings glory to God and reaches people for the kingdom? I mean, what about church? Everybody's been debating about the rights of churches. And you look at church and think about church for just a minute. It's like, here we are and, and we're going. In fact, I saw this video. A friend of mine posted this on social media and I thought it was really funny. Here you are going and it's like, we're having church. Oh, no, no. Oh, we can't have church. Oh, we got to turn around now, and uh, can we meet inside? I don't know. Well, oh, maybe, maybe here. Let's start getting 100 people in there. Nope, oh, that's not going to work. Okay, let's, no, you can't have church. Listen, you're going to have to flip these things around. Guys, this video that you're watching is exactly what it feels like for us at our church. It's like, Lord, when are we going to get some direction? Question is, why does God allow you to go through this kind of stuff? Why is God putting us through this as a world? Now, friends, listen carefully. Here's the simplest answer I could give you. God is letting you and me go through this so that he can build something into you and then so that he can effectively work something through you, getting you to glory and bringing glory to himself. This is why James chapter one says, you and I ought to take the attitude that we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that the testing of our faith should develop something within us, perseverance. And we need perseverance to finish its work so that we would, look at the vision here, so that we would be what? We would be mature and complete Lacking in nothing. That's vision. Or I think of Romans 8.18 where, where Paul writes and he says, you know, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the what? There it is in a word. To the glory that is being revealed to us. Just look at the vision there. And friends, everything that you respond to, every conflict that you have, every Every frustration you feel, God is saying, how are you going to choose to respond? How are you going to choose to live? Because God's wanting to change something in you. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his what? His glory is revealed. Don't you see? God's wanting to get you to glory. And God's wanting to get his church to glory. And it says, 2 Corinthians, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, there it is again. What does it say? Weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now the question is, and I keep repeating it, because I'm just asking, are you allowing it to do that in your life? So, what does it take to go through turbulence and change like we are with vision? As uncomfortable as these days are, how do you get to glory? I'm gonna give you five things very quickly. If you would just uh, write these down, I'll give you five things and then we'll be done. Five things on getting to glory. Here we go, number one, if you're going to navigate change with purpose, number one, it begins with humility. Write that down. It begins with humility. Now, why humility? 
Because especially with vision, first and foremost, if you're going to get a vision, you first have to see a need. You've got to be able to see a deficit, in other words. You've got to be able to see a problem. Pastor Steve said it well last week. All vision springs out of need that's combined with a passion. But if you're not willing to see the need, if you can look at your own life and say, there's nothing wrong with me, I don't have a problem. There's nothing wrong with my life. Or, hey, there's nothing wrong with society. Well, guys, you're never going to get a vision for anything because there's never any room to grow. I think, for example, about Martin Luther King Jr., one of the greatest heroes that's ever lived. He had a vision. In fact, he called it a dream. And it came out of a need. What was the need? He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What did he see? He saw a need, and that gave birth to a vision. But there was a willingness to see the problem. Not to bury your head in the sand and say, well, there's no problem. I, I shouldn't be required to do this because, you know, no, you don't do that. It takes humility to say, no, I can look at a problem square in the face and allow it to give birth to something new. Because a need gives birth to a vision. And it takes humility. I thought about Rick Warren, for example. We were just talking to Andrew and Alyssa about uh, local mission and global mission and the peace plan. And I, and I thought about Rick Warren, who uh, came up with what you see on the screen here. It is a peace plan. And of course, we've talked about this for years at our church. What is peace? Peace is a plan to plant churches that promote reconciliation in our world. It's a plan to equip servant leaders. It's a plan to assist the poor, which is what we, we were trying to do yesterday with a feeding. It's a plan to care for the sick and educate the next generation. Now, that's the plan, but where did that plan or vision come from? Well, look right below it. It came from the giants or the needs of spiritual emptiness, of self-serving leadership, the needs of poverty and disease and illiteracy. And it's just people stepping up to say, God, because I'm willing to see a need, I now have a vision of what it is that you've called me to do. I think, for example, of Nehemiah and the, and the vision that he had that sprung out of a willingness to look at a need in the face. The scripture says that when his countrymen came to, came to him and said, the remnant of Israel in the province, they're the ones who've survived the exile. This is in the Old Testament. He said, there's great trouble and disgrace on them because Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned down. And look what it says. Nehemiah says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for a number of days. And in humility, he prayed, I confess the sins that we've committed against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you, God, and have not kept your commands, your statutes, and your ordinances that you gave to your servant Moses. And he prays, please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, stop right there. Do you see the humility here in Nehemiah's life? A vision of being that he humbles himself that leads to a vision of doing because then he says in verse 11, yes, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant." And to do that of your servants who delight to revere your name, give success 
today and have compassion on him in the presence of this man. Why? Because Nehemiah was about to go talk to the king and he said at that time, I was the king's cupbearer. He's just a cupbearer, but out of humility and a vision of being, he says, I wanna do what God's called me to do. And he goes to the king and he says, can I go rebuild this wall? a vision that springs out of need. You have to have humility. Now friends, listen to me. If you're not hum hu humble, if you're full of your own ego, if you won't lay down your rights and just say, you know, maybe my opinion isn't the most valid opinion in the world. Maybe I don't have all the answers. If you're not willing to walk in humility, you're never gonna get there. It's humility that leads the way for the believer. Say, God, what do you wanna do? How can I be like you? How can I have the attitude that you had? It requires humility. Now it leads to the second thing. It requires intentionality. If you'd write that down, what do I mean? By intentionality, I mean it's gonna take more than your sentiment. It's gonna take more than your thoughts or opinions. How do you navigate change or turbulence? You're gonna need to start getting intentional. Friends, right now we are living in a season in our American culture here in the Central Valley included, where everybody's got an opinion about what should be. Everybody's got lip service. My goodness, if you want an opinion about what all of our leaders are doing wrong, you just need to get on social media. As a pastor, I have never had so many people call me and tell me what I ought to be doing as a leader. Everybody's got an opinion. By the way, friend, do you know what a Monday morning quarterback is? A Monday morning quarterback is somebody who passes judgment and criticizes something after the fact. It's like they're constantly looking at everything everybody else is doing. You know what an armchair quarterback is? It's somebody who doesn't get in the game. They just criticize everybody else that's playing the game. And friends, all you have to do is get on social media to see that, that there's too much of this going on. Not enough humility. Too much ego. <laughs> and I've got news for you. Friend, God doesn't need your opinion. What God wants is your action. That's why, let us be clear here at North Point Church, and we've said this over and over again, but I wanna say it again because there are many of you that are even struggling with the idea that we have not fully opened up to large group meetings in the room that I'm in right now. And I, and I just wanna say something to you. All we are concerned about at North Point is loving God and loving others. We're not concerned about everybody's opinion about what this person should do, about what this particular church should do, or what these political leaders should do. Listen, friend, we are concerned about one thing. We're concerned about how are we gonna reach more people through this COVID time and bring glory to God through loving people and loving God. In fact, just look at this visual one more time, if you would. Look here at this vision. We're, the, 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 the vision statement of these rapids, if you just look at that, as we chart these kind of troubled waters, what we're saying is we're choosing a very committed path. Politics is not our game. We're not gonna pretend to be in politics. People-pleasing is not our game. Our game is about loving Jesus and loving others through the means that we are able to do it. That's what motivates us through these changes, nothing else. By the way, can I just say something to you as you're at home? Nobody has taken away your rights to worship the name of Jesus. 
Nobody. That is not the narrative here. Nobody is taking away your rights to share the gospel. And I know somebody says, well, pastor, the church isn't open. And I'm just going to say to you, the church is open. The church is open to the degree that you're open. Because the church is people. Now, what we mean by the church isn't open is, we're talking about one single meeting in one specific place, one day a week. But I'm going to tell you, we're giving away groceries yesterday. We're worshiping on the lawn. Small groups are meeting. Friends, the church is open. I get tired of hearing, when is the church going to open? We're open. I just ask you, how many people have you led to Jesus through this experience because you've reached out and cared for them? How many people have you prayed with that are sick and struggling? Because friends, the church isn't about a building. The church is the people. Now, don't get me wrong. We can't wait for this virus to be over. I mean, right now, I'm speaking to you in your living rooms or on your computer screens or on your phones. I'm, I'm here in an empty worship center. I'm talking to a camera. And, and I don't like that because I like people. I can't wait for this particular room to be filled with thousands again. But what's more important to that than that is, have you cared about anybody through this? Or let me ask you another question. Have you joined a prayer team? Have you intentionally gotten on your knees before God and called on God to heal hurting people that are dealing with COVID-19 or any other number of sicknesses? Friends, I'm convinced that if we spent half the time we do on social media and just got on our knees before God in prayer, there's no telling what God might do. What's God calling you to? It's intentionality. Intentionality is the determination to say, I'm not just going to drift and react to the waves. I'm going to chart a course through this. What's it take? Number three, if you'd write this down. It's going to demand courage. Write that down. How do you navigate change with purpose? It demands courage. Why? Because seeing a vision through isn't easy. And it doesn't come simple. It's going to require for you and me to take steps of faith as we begin to see vision through. In fact, last week, Pastor Steve mentioned a passage of scripture that's from what happens to be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11, because Hebrews chapter 11 is a tribute to those who, because of their faith, move with vision. And look what it says. Notice Hebrews 11 at verse 1. It says that faith is actually the confidence of what we hope for, that it'll actually happen. Now, do you see the vision there? And it says it's this faith that gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. And through their faith, people in the days of old earned a good reputation. Why? Well, I'm going to skip up to verse 16 because look what it says. It says they, those people with faith, those who live, that have a vision that drives them. It says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, they were envisioning something. And it says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, something into the future. Now, to be able to do that, what this is describing, it takes courage. In fact, when I think of courage, I think of Moses. And Hebrews 11 mentions Moses, a man who's got the courage to be propelled by a vision, looking forward. Look what it says about him. 
verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's another example of somebody giving up their rights for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of shining like stars in a dark place. He says he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because it says he was looking ahead with vision to his great reward. Vision. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, but kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Now, it's not easy. It takes courage. And then it takes this fourth thing, if you just write this down. It'll test your perseverance. It'll test your perseverance. You know, there is a great line from uh, that classic Shakespeare uh, play, Macbeth. And it's typically vivid. It's a typically vivid Shakespearean line. It says, each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Now, I read that line and I just thought, man, truth is we don't really want to believe that. Now, that is absolutely true, what it's saying there. Again, look at it. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry. New sorrows strike heaven on the face. What he's saying is, is that the world is full of devastation. Of course, Jesus said that's true. Jesus put it this way. He said, in this world, you have trouble. And what Shakespeare was pointing out was that as the dawn breaks, there are thousands more with every morning that have to suffer. There is death every morning that are new, that's new. There is disease every morning. <laughs> there is despondency. There is devastation. Thousands. Each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. Now, you know what, friend, I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that the reason why so many struggle through the inconveniences of COVID-19, that we're even arguing about something as simple as wearing a mask, is because most of us don't understand suffering. You struggle with something as simple as a mask because you've lived such a charmed life, you refuse to be inconvenienced. It's unsettling. And God says, friends, you're not even suffering yet. How do you maintain a vision through struggle and change? Well, it takes actual perseverance. The ability to say, I'm not gonna grow weary in doing good. I'm gonna press on. Paul says in Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they're actually good for us. Why? Because they help us learn to be patient and patience develops strength of character in us and it helps us to trust God each more as we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. What's he talking about? He's talking about getting to glory. So again, I just ask you what I asked at the beginning. Who are you allowing yourself to become through this entire experience? And have you got on your knees? Is, is what I'm saying offending you? Because what offends the mind reveals the heart. Is it offensive? What comes out of you when you get squeezed a little bit? God says about that, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life should produce Love and joy 
and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. He says, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature, that is selfishness, to the cross and crucified them there. And I just ask, who are you? And how do you keep moving toward a vision through change and trouble and trial? Well, what vision ever came easy? Write down this fifth thing. It's the last thing, then we'll be done. Your vision's gotta be motivated by love, if you'd write that down. It's only love for Jesus. It's only love for Jesus that can drive a vision home. Do you know that? Friends, I just ask you, what is provoking you to stay the course? Why do I put others first? Why would I choose to lay my rights down? Why would I decide to climb up on my cross when I feel like I shouldn't have to? By the way, Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his own cross and follow me. Why should I have to do that? We're living in a culture today where everybody's saying, why should I have to do that? Why? One thing, love for God and love for others. It's love for Jesus. And friends, when I look at others, I just see Jesus. You say, well, I do love God. Well, Jesus says, he says, I tell you the truth. Notice Matthew 25. He says, whatever you do for the very least of these brothers of mine, you're doing it for me. The fact is, every time I put down my rights for the sake of just caring for others and helping others to feel safe. You know, I keep referencing masks because it's such a topic of debate right now. People are questioning, does it really work? And there's this expert that says this, and there's this expert that says that. Friends, I just say to you, if it makes someone else feel safe, regardless of what you think it does, why not? Why? Because that's just putting somebody else first. It's saying people matter more than my opinion. People matter the most. I go back to Philippians, right where we begin. God's word to human people, and it says, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, do nothing out of selfish ambition or your own vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Again, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to hold on to, but he made himself nothing. And so motivated by love, I just say, Lord, I want my vision of being and I want my vision of doing. I just want it to be about loving you. That's what motivates me. What drove the Lord, by the way, to do what he did? The Bible says, and probably the most famous scripture that's ever been quoted, for God so loved you and me, the people of the world so much that he gave his only son, that so that everyone would have faith in him, would add eternal life and never really die. The same thing should drive you. And friends, do you realize, I'll just say this in closing, only Christianity of all the major faiths in the world has the audacity to say that Jesus Christ came down and he entered into a world of suffering. Jesus has been lonely. 
He's been betrayed. Jesus has been tortured. Jesus has been the victim of political injustice and suffered discrimination. He's been killed. Why? Because of love. In other words, Jesus didn't give you a sermon. Jesus came down into the pain. He came into the prison. He restricted himself for you. Love. Is that the way you and I are responding? Let's pray. Father, would you help each of us to be like you? Lord, this is a, Philippians particularly, is a passage of scripture that you have drawn my heart to over and over and over again through this. And Father, we are all going through turbulent days of change and we're tired of it. And I realize that. Lord, would you help us though to respond and be your people? That we'd be different than the average person. That we would be a new kind of creature changed from glory to glory as we gaze on you. Father, I pray for anybody listening to this today that may not know you or they've not been changed into a new creature, as C.S. Lewis said. They've not been transformed yet. I pray they'd know that they can be. It comes by just inviting you into our life. And I'm going to lead in a prayer. And if you're watching this or listening to this right now and you've not given your life over to Jesus, I'll lead you in inviting him in to give your life and trust over to him. Father, I give my life to you. I entrust my life over to you. Be my savior and be my Lord. I commit myself to you. Change me, a vision of being that leads to a vision of doing, that I'm unique and called and glorifying you in every way. Get us to glory, God. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen.